Welcome to Season 3 of the Retail Tea Break Podcast. My name is Melissa Moore, the Retail Advisor, and each week I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and product creators to decode the myths, share knowledge and give you an insight into the industry. So grab your cup of tea, sit back, relax and listen in to Season 3 of the Retail Tea Break Podcast. So today's episode of the Retail Tea Break podcast is the second episode brought to you in collaboration with Salesforce. Once again, I'm joined by three very special guests and this week to talk about loyalty, gaining and maintaining those customers. So again, Jenny McGinn is with us, who's head of e-commerce for Lifestyle Sports, Paul Gillett, Chief Operations Officer at The Skin Nerd, and Gapri Kaur, Director of Retail Solutions and Strategy at Salesforce. I'm delighted to have the three of you with me again. So as we go into this kind of second special episode, gee, the thoughts of retailers gathering all our information as consumers, I have to say, do make some people feel a little bit uneasy. But is that because retailers are asking for too much data in their kind of seeking out and wanting the loyalty with us? Is it that they're actually just collecting the wrong data altogether? Or is it actually as consumers, we just don't trust them? Really interesting question. And I think it's a combination of those things if you're not using the data correctly, right? So... We know from our, our Salesforce data uh, and, and, and data that's external from Salesforce as well, a large number of consumers are actually willing to give you their personal data if it means better service. Um, I've spoken about this before. Um, and, you know, we want personalized offers. We want you as a retailer to understand us as consumers. And we want to be able to provide that as a retailer as well. And trust is key, but trust comes through thousands of small words, actions, thoughts, intentions, and it takes time. So gathering that data is not enough. If you gather that data and you do nothing with it, the trust is gone. You've already kind of taken a step backwards. Um, And as I said, we're happy to give data as consumers if it benefits us in some way. Now there's different types of data. So there's first party data, which many of us are really familiar with. It's data that you collect um, on consumers when they're um, buying something from you, for example, or they're signing up for a newsletter. It would be things like your email address, your contact details, whatever it might be. And that sort of data that consumers feel they have to give you in order to get on with this, you know, just get on with this sale and let's get this done with. And, you know, that's fine. Um, Or let me put my email address in because it will give me 15% off, but I really don't care about anything else. Yeah. Then there is third-party data, which of course many marketers use, which is obtained through the government bodies or through media agencies, this type of information. Um, Now the challenge is that's gonna be going away. Um, Obviously there's lots of stuff going on with Google and with Apple um, when it comes to cookies. And so obviously we've seen quite big changes in that, but by 2023, it's gonna be more difficult to gather third-party data. So there's this new term and it's coined zero-party data, which is information that customers are actually willing to give to you themselves. And that's because it means you can hyper-personalize those experiences. Now, the difference between personalization and hyper-personalization is with personalization, you're just segmenting your customer data into groups. 
And many of you have probably heard this, this comparison. If you were to just segment a group, you would say Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne would be the same segment, right? Oh. Because they're the same age, they have the same number of kids, they probably drive, you know, similar cars, a similar wealth, right? But they're completely different people. Yeah. So segmentation isn't enough. You need to provide hyper-personalization, which is real-time personalization based on a customer's preferences. So if we go back into zero-party data, the reason that zero-party data is so powerful is because it's what a customer's willing to give to you. Now, a great example of this is I filled out a preference center recently, and the preference center just had three key questions. Number one, what's your date of birth? By the way, I'll give you 15% off to give me this data. So I was like, yeah, of course. I'll give you that. <laughs> um, so 15% off, uh, not that I'm a sucker for marketing, 15% um, off uh, date of birth. So they can give me an offer based on my date of birth. So when they, it's my birthday, they'll give me a full offer. Um, which products do you like to buy from us? Is it hair care? Is it nail, nail varnish, whatever. So you kind of, they get an understanding of which products you like to buy from them. And thirdly, which brands? Is it L'Oreal? Is it Tom Ford? What is it? And what they can do with that data, um, which benefits me and it also benefits them. So it's a win-win situation is they don't need to do a 20% off blanket site-wide offer. They can say, okay, G really likes L'Oreal and she likes L'Oreal hair care. So we're going to provide her with an offer. So she feels loved. She feels hugs from our company. And we don't actually have to discount everything. She'll probably more likely buy other stuff at the same time. But she gets those products that she loves the most um, from us. So that's what the power of zero party data is and the power of hyper-personalization. It's kind of a win-win. Well, it is a win-win. It's not kind of a win-win. It is a win-win. Um, but it's not that as a consumer, I'd feel uneasy about them having that data because I can see the results instantaneously. And that's a key thing we're seeing now is that customers want to see loyalty or offers or rewards instantly. They don't want to wait. Um, so that's what I'd say. I'd say it's not about too much data, wrong data or lack of trust around that. It's just give me what I want and, and what I need at the right time. That sounds, it sounds so beneficial to both, to both the retailer and the consumer. It, as usual, begs the question, why on earth haven't we been doing this for the last few years? And I suppose the answer, I presume, is that some have quietly and doing it really well. And actually, the rest of retail has just done what they always do um, without kind of going back and looking at it. And actually, Jenny, it brings me to a point that I know we were discussing before this episode that you were telling me that in order to propel forward and to really soak up the loyalty aspects that so many retailers are looking at, that lifestyle sports has gone back to basics, which I think is to be commended because you've done it for the right reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, again, really looking at customers and our customer and how much they have evolved over the last couple of years. When we talk about loyalty, it has to be real, it has to be meaningful, and it has to be married to what our customer is looking for and what loyalty means to them. And I think, you know, again, with, with retail, there's somebody that's first to market, and then there's a whole domino effect mm. where people are just cut and paste, let's copy and let's get it out there. And I think there's so many loyalty programs that have no depth yeah. um, 
that are asking for all of this information and asking you to sign up and push notification reminders to do this, do that, and yada, yada, yada. And you're just not getting anything, anything in exchange. And I think, you know, when we think we have some serious ambitions for our loyalty program, you know, it's for us loyalty and for our customer, it's above and beyond the transactional moment. It's about where we're multi-category, multi-brand retailer, where we go after the stylized athlete, where about we stand for premium and we stand for offering the right value at the right time, but it's part of an ecosystem. And for us, where we can drive that loyalty in terms of marrying what our customers are looking for above and beyond the product. So where they're looking to be engaged in communities, where they're looking for, you know, um, mental health, where they're looking to access training. We want to show up in that ecosystem loyalty environment rather than, again, what some retailers can often do is like, you know, sign up and we'll give you free shipping. And you're like, well, hold on a second. I, you had a free shipping promo on the site yesterday. Like, how is that different? Or, yeah. you know, again, rewrapping sale or just not segmenting what loyalty stands for versus what, you know, a promotion is or what a campaign. So with that in mind, we um, have done a lot of work on our omnichannel CRM and that like loyalty is built off of personalization. And for us, we're just going back to really understanding that personalization piece, really investing a lot of time in it, investing a lot of, you know, A-B testing in it. We want to ensure that we've unlocked the full potential of what Salesforce offer out of the box because, you know, Einstein is their personal recommendation tool. Well, there's varying levels to it. It is very, very powerful. And we had been using recommendations across, like surfacing them across the site and across the user journey that it's not that they were limited, let's say, but we weren't unlocking the full potential. Um, and that's right now, that's what we're focused on or peak ensuring that we have that Einstein personalization piece working as powerfully as possible and feeding that into our CRM. And it's next year is when we are looking to really begin and push into phase two and phase three of loyalty. So it kind of goes back to my earlier conversation around what we're trying to do for peak. When I talked about stripping back some of the like, you know, really disruptive and sexy and exciting projects and going, hang on a second, are we doing what we promised to do for the customer? And, and going to that level of like foundational forensic <laughs> testing. And so when it comes to something like loyalty, we don't want to rush something out that's half-baked. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't stand for, and neither does this business, let's wait until something's perfect. Yeah. But I think because of the environment that we're in, because the customer is very sensitive, because we've seen a lot of flux in the last few years, our priority is that foundational piece. When it comes to the site for peak, our priority is like really drilling down into personalization before we look at phase two and phase three of loyalty. So 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And actually, Jenny, as you alluded to that season three, this season, episode three, where we looked at peak, actually, all of you talk about the the foundations of your business, but also about going back to basics. So if you haven't listened to that already, please pop back and listen to it, because there are so many good takeaways from that episode. Um, Paul, Jenny also mentioned this kind of meaningful interaction. And I know the Skin Nerd consultants know so much about their clients before they've even had that kind of face-to-face virtual consult. But it also sounds to me, and I know you were telling me a couple of stories from your customers, that it's had this amazing impact. It sure has. So, Melissa, just before I do it, just to give the listeners some background again to the business. So we're a small Irish company. We do virtual online skin consults in the Skin Nerd. We are a hub of information on skincare. We sell over 50 brands on our website. And we also have our own brand called Skingredients as well, which we sell in over 300 retailers. So the business was set up in 2017 by Jennifer Rock, an award-winning dermofacialist author and presenter, an amazing individual who has such a deep and fantastic knowledge of the skincare sector. And one of the things Jennifer identified way back in 2017 was the need for a virtual online skin consult. This was pre-COVID. This was pre-anyone even thinking that this idea would work. Um, And many of the brands that we sell on our website require someone to have seen a facialist before it can be sold to them because they have active ingredients so when we when Jennifer approached brands, even back then, it was like kind of, you know, no one's done this before. And then we brought them through the process and said, look, this is how we do a, a, an online skin consult. And we immediately got some brands to sign up that would never have allowed to be sold online before. And kind of the reason we have behind that, if we take if I take you through the steps of a, a virtual online skin consult, when you sign up for a virtual online skin consult, it's going to be a 30 minute session. You pay 50 euro for the for the consult. And then we ask you to fill in a form for us. And in that form is a lot of information about your background, your skincare routines, what products you use today, what what you eat, what type of things, what could be behind everything that you have in skincare. Um, and Within that, there, there is, yes, a, a lot of information that we have and we need to analyze. So we have a number of people who do virtual online skin consults. There are senior facialists who come into us. They go through several weeks of training along with us before they speak to a client. So they have a really deep knowledge as well as skincare. So they will understand everything that's come in in this form. They will look at photos that have been brought in uh-huh. and look at all this information before they talk to you as an individual about your own skincare. So they will really have made a go to understand that. And then they'll ask you a set of questions on the call and bring you through a routine. We find people come to us, be, you know, various reasons, but I'll give you three examples. One, they, they hit a certain age point where they just mm. go, you know, I got to do something about my skincare. Yeah. Two, they've been online and they've got, you know, 10 step recommendations, 20 yeah. step recommendations yeah. for skincare and the amount of information that's just been given to them. They don't know what to do. And then the third reason would be that they have something related to a skin condition or something that's just happened to them and they don't know what to do about it. So when they come to us and we have all that information, um, we can then give the best advice we can in that 30 minutes to somebody on a call. Now, obviously, it's a lot of information for us to have as well. So we have 
we you know use the data as carefully as we can it's why we have a strong crm system in place something we have salesforce for that and and it's kind of key to holding all information about a customer and all the interaction we have from that point on for a customer but what it does in, in truth is it also gives us a, a reason for loyalty with a customer yeah. because we are bringing a customer we know skincare is a journey it goes on in your life it carries on for your entire life the skin is an organ that that develops and changes so you have to look after it so we're on that journey with the customer and it's important that we get that from the that understanding from the very beginning when someone comes in for the consult so we will speak to a customer we don't try to over market um, the way we do things to a customer but we do give customers personal recommendations we do have the recommendations so when they log into us they see the products we've recommended they see homework sheets that we give them they have all that information available to them so it is a very personalized journey we're bringing somebody on so after you log in those products are there your homework is there you feel part of a community in a way um for us when we look at loyalty for us the key thing it's not so much just always giving offers out to a customer but we do things like events for people who've had a consult. So we'd invite people to a virtual online event. We will give prizes away. We'll give gift boxes away within that event. Or we'd even have a physical event where we'll have meet in a certain location and, and meet our clients and speak to them. Um, and it's, you know, all those occasions are wonderful to see the impact that you have on in this industry in someone's life when people come up to you and give you that feedback that you've made an impact on their skin, that they feel different for the impact that it has, you know, for, for many people without realizing, you know, even a small spot on your face can just seem so much bigger than it really is to you. But, you know, when someone has a, a condition or somebody once, you know, not feeling confident in their own skin and they come to you and you give them the information they need and the knowledge and they see changes in their skin they feel a million times better for it. And then, you know, you get that, you get that feedback as well. And it, it, it's personally satisfying to do so, but it's great to see that we're on that journey with them and, and they do stick with you then along the way as well. Oh, it sounds like such an important journey as well, as you say, Paul, like it's, it's so personal skincare. So it's lovely to know that you're being nurtured and taken care of when you come to the skin nerd and, and to the team there. And by the sounds of it, then you've, you've got these consumers with you for an awful long time because you've really embraced them. And actually, gee, as kind of Paul's alluded to there, consumers have these varying needs they've got different wants they've got different desires or I suppose outcomes that they're looking for but also there are so many different types of I suppose loyalty programs to almost meet the consumer in that respect what kind of loyalty programs are there I mean take us through it I can think of a few but you you're certainly the expert on this how are retailers capturing information when it comes to loyalty programs that's a small question (laughs) Um, Okay, so what we know, and I think we've sort of touched upon it, is that simply creating a loyalty program just doesn't work. It needs to be connected so that personalization can occur. And also, you need to figure out as a retailer which um, perks and which benefits will actually encourage your shoppers to join um, the program, but also keep them coming back. So the idea of a loyalty program is, of course, longevity, its relationships, its lifetime value. Um, and Sephora does a really great job of this. They, their loyalty program is really famous. So they have 
all the different parts of a loyalty program that you could have. They have experiential rewards, they have samples, so people want freebies, they have savings for people who want transactional rewards in that, that sort of space. And then they also, um, I think at a point allowed you to donate to charity. So towards like Black Lives Matter charity, for example. Um, so they sort of touched everything. Um, now, the way that we can categorize loyalty programs is rational and emotional. And in many cases, they have to be both because you can act loyal, but it's different to feel loyal. Um, mm. So people will really remember how you make them feel. Of course, this is a very famous quote, um, but you know, you need to be able to, to, to put that into the loyalty program too. So it's both about transactional, but also about being emotional and connecting on both sides. So if we look at transactional or rational, um, it's discounts, it's rewards, it's freebies, it's these sort of things that can increase spend, increase frequency, um, and build that sort of lifetime value where people just keep coming back. However, then there's the emotional side, which is they want to be understood as consumers. Mm. They want to connect with you. And this is done through exclusivity, engagement, satisfaction. So Paul touched upon that as well with Skin Nerd, where they've done these in-store events or digital events. That's that exclusivity coming into play, really touching that emotional side. Um, and as you mentioned as well, it's around making people feel really good about themselves and their own skin. Um, and actually, you can play on both rational and emotional throughout the customer journey. So you could bring them in, drive them in at the beginning with a with an, a, a reward, um, you know, 15% to sign up or whatever. Then you gather data so you can do that preference centerpiece that I mentioned earlier. You can start to understand your customers, fill out a profile. That's that sort of data collection. And then off the back of that, you can start to build emotional connections with your shoppers, provide them with them exclusive um, offers or events or whatever it might be. Um, and then you can go back around again. So you go towards um, sort of uh, hyper-personalized service as well. Um, and then going back to another reward when it's your birthday or whatever. So you can kind of keep going around this loop, getting more data, understanding your customer better, and then, and then providing more personalized offers and exclusivity. Um, and shoppers are actually willing to work for their benefits as well. Um, they, they're happy to earn points in new ways, whether it's taking actions like sharing on social media or filling out reviews or their profiles and they're happy to get rewards for those things um but they're also happy to share their information and um, so working again um rather than an action it's sort of just sharing some information such as style preferences sizes products as i mentioned earlier um so yeah there's there's lots of different ways there's also gamification starbucks does a really good job of that um exclusivity nike does a really good job of that mm. so there's just so much you can do um and and just lastly one of the key things i've seen is that even if you're doing all of these things there's some loyalty programs out there that are absolutely incredible um and they offer everything i've just spoken about but people don't know like even members i'm a member of one said loyalty program and i didn't even know the benefits that I was getting until I had to do a customer meeting. And I was like, oh, let me research this specific retailer. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was this tier and I didn't realize I had all these benefits. And so it's like adoption or scanning your, your card when you're going into the shop, all these things are really important. So one of the biggest gaps isn't 
what people are or what businesses are actually providing in terms of their loyalty program it's actually adoption as well that's, that's incredible and I would say there's plenty of retailers and even forget that plenty of consumers listening that probably feel the same that we we're joined up or we you know we're part of so many different loyalty programs we've no idea how to use the points spend the money get the offers or as you said the different layers of ex exclusivity because you're so loyal to brand and actually Jenny picking up on that then what's been the impact on the various channels for lifestyle sports um when it comes to just gathering all this information how are you then either trying to reach out to the different segments these different consumers um through all your channels that you use and apologies there good old tech i've managed to mute you welcome to zoom everyone in 2022 am i here you I'm are here. happy zoom everyone so yeah jenny tell us about the different channels that lifestyle sports use? Um, so all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so, you know, our target, you know, our sweet spot target customer is, you know, like relatively younger. So like, obviously all of the social media channels, TikTok, obviously coming uh, as a front runner, thick and fast. This is the physical store, the online store, email customer service you know we're, we're we're active obviously across all of them i think that it's so interesting as well when you're in the sportswear space because there's such clear examples of like when you know data fails when personalization doesn't work if if i cannot understand that a female shopper has come and bought two pairs of performance leggings in the last year and I try and send another email about a pair of performance leggings or her recommenders, the rules are around leggings between a certain price point. It's like this person, we need to try and sell them the matching high impact sports bra, or we need to look at, you know, are they potentially, because of the data that we've collected, are, we, are they potentially training for the Dublin Marathon? Are they interested in hiking? We know that she probably doesn't need a new pair of performance leggings for another yeah. six to 12 months. So let's give her something that is relevant. Let's not send her an email about the latest Man United jersey. You know, it's yeah. because we serve, you know, so many different categories and concepts. When data is not collected and not utilized efficiently, it can go so wrong. Well, unsubscribe so, is what I'm thinking. It's the automatically, they don't know me, they don't care about me. You click that unsubscribe button and they are gone. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we're, what we're trying to do now is unlock, as I said earlier, I mentioned that we have been using Einstein recommenders across the site and you know they're they're based on rules and web-based behavior so you know what i previously looked at what i purchased and what would match that but now we're trying to unlock the next level of einstein which is that it will understand and make recommendations based on all of your engagements and interactions with the site and then our job across crm is to ensure that we're serving that personalized content across the channels that you engage with most so it's not you know a one size fits all 
legging this campaign that goes out in every channel, we know that this customer is much more engaged on Instagram or less engaged on email, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it, like all the points that were made earlier, there's so much data to collect yeah. online. And also like loyalty, there's so much that can be done with loyalty. Don't overcomplicate it. Just try and break down and drill down what you really need to understand about the customer to make that next interaction more meaningful, more value, more valuable to the customer. You can get lost in a year's worth of data and still send the wrong email to the wrong customer group if you're not just trying to like break it down into like measurable impactful steps um so yeah sorry no i love that and again it's step by step we, we've talked about basics and actually this is really just step by step know what your next goal is as a business and reach that by reading the data and actually paul you know i believe from kind of listening to your customers needs with with the skin nerd that it actually led to the creation of, of skin ingredients and then more recently um your new successful refillable range that's it melissa um so we launched Skin Ingredients in 2019 and we had done just over, I suppose, two and a half years worth of virtual online skin consults. And we've done over 50,000 virtual online skin consults. Oh my God. Which is quite a big number. And, it, you know, it's 30 minutes a session and wow. um, our nerds very much in detail with our customers. So I believe that our company has a real understanding of who our customer is and the needs of our customer and analyzing that data anonymously in reports, but you know, we were able to identify key aspects of skincare that everyone should be doing in their in their routine. Mm. So we essentially designed two capsule ranges within um, skin ingredients. So we have the key four products that everyone should be using in their daily routine. And then we have what we call um, the max match and mix range, which is around products to address skin concerns such as oiliness, congestion, dullness, and dry skin. So our range consists of those. Now, on the skin nerd, we sell many brands, and we have people who specialize in more detail and want extra products. But in general, our skin ingredients range meets a very simple need for people in terms of a simple to use skincare regime that they can work with each day. And you can say our our bottles are very bright and colorful and you know, we we looked at all the products and we looked and said, okay, how do we make this understandable for customers and how do we do this? And, and this is what we came up with and the instructions that we have on it are, are well explained. And, you know, I, I remember just as we, well, this was launched in 2019. So it was kind of really on the market about six, eight months or so when COVID hit and we went into lockdown. And I remember after COVID being in a restaurant with Jennifer and customers coming up to us going hey you know we love your range oh. my, my husband uses loves the green one and I love the red one and you kind of realize you know this is a very different way people are talking about about products when they're talking about colors or numbers or it's a different way to do it so we found really what customers were looking for in that range and that that really started that range now what then came out of it was as we kind of looked at at the products and spoke to customers and saw the way they were using the products that there was a need for to do something for the environment in this now if you take i mentioned in the previous episode to you that the size of this market is worth billions three billion in the uk it's, it's over crazy. 160 million in ireland there's within within the beauty industry every year there's 142 billion units of packaging produced 
and oh it's my a, goodness Paul that's a, that's shocking it, it's shocking and um it, yeah 80 billion plastic units just in even shampoos and conditioners never mind skincare in the world in the in this space so and a whopping 91 percent of this is not recycled as well wow so, now that's so, something that's not talked about that's incredible it is and you know we are a small irish brand and there is a small impact we could do in this and this is where the whole idea of refillable range came from so in 2021, we re- relaunched the entire range in refillable bottles. They're 100% recyclable. And it's part of our small step that we can make on this journey towards a bit more sustainability in the environment. It is small. And when you look at the size of the market, but and we have measured and we do make an impact in, in the environment. But when I talk about, we talk about loyalty, you know, as a producer of products and you sell into retailers, a lot of the questions are around, you know, how distant you then become to your product, to, the, mm. to your customer, because you're going through another retailer. We are in over 300 retailers. So how do you give value for loyalty in that environment? But refillable packaging allows you to do that because we're in a position to offer for our customers like a five, six euro difference in a, in a bottle for, for them buying a refill versus buying a new product. Um, it gives us a little data as well on the back end in that we understand how many people are repurchasing our products. So the more re, re, um, refillable tubes that we sell, the better our, our understanding is of how many customers are purchasing within that environment to our loyal customers to us. So, so we do try and do loyalty through the product in, in that we can give someone for a second purchase through retailer and money off their product. So that's how we do it. And, and we understand that as well. That's so interesting, Paul, because again, I think sustainability almost sits in one corner and then loyalty sits in another when it comes to most retailers. I've never heard the two combined, but actually you've done it for the right reasons. It alludes to your values. The customer's obviously incredibly happy with it. And and it's a really lovely story, you know, long term for the environment and for sustainability. So I definitely think you're to be applauded for that. And all of this, of course, on the back of you read the data, you have incredibly loyal customers and you're using that data to to produce these new products, which is is wonderful. So, gee, we've heard some really solid evidence from from Jay with Lifestyle Sports here, from Paul with uh, the Skin Nerd and Skin Ingredients really solid evidence about the strong proper use of loyalty I suppose it still begs the question and maybe this is because I've I've been talking to retailers that may not be as advanced or as far ahead as as these two brands are why do retailers find it such a challenge to introduce loyalty programs to build a program and if there's one of those listening and now they're a little bit intrigued by what they've heard where should they start So there's a few key things here. One of them is siloed strategy. Um, So many businesses only think this is a marketing problem, right? They just think, obviously marketing own a loyalty strategy, but you actually need the whole company to be invested in a loyalty strategy. You need finance, accounting, operations, analytics, all the different teams to help boost that engagement and adoption. 
So that's one thing. The other piece is disparate data. So of course there's data that's sat across lots of different systems within a business um, and a loyalty program really needs to leverage those different sources in order to provide insights for a loyalty program. So the integration piece is of course really, really important. So we've got siloed strategy, uh, disparate data, and then finally inflexible technology. So um, a loyalty program needs to be flexible. You know, consumers change all the time, what their expectations are change all the time. And so you need to be able to customize your, your system. Um, but a lot of businesses, they have legacy systems that are really difficult mm. to, to shift. And so what happens is when you combine inflexibility, silo data, um, disparate data, is that not many customers use your loyalty program. They don't see the value of it. They don't feel like it's personalized to them. And what that means is it's quite cyclical. As a business, no one sees the value. There's a low perceived value mm. of that loyalty program within the business. And so if that's all combined together and actually your own business doesn't believe in the loyalty program, it, it's not going to mean that you're, you're not, you're just not going to get anywhere. So of course, if we look at this, um, you know, customers are not going to receive those personalized offers, as I mentioned, the relevant offers, um, which is in turn going to increase the churn or, you know, customers that are not really signing up or they're not really doing very much with it. Um, and so not seeing a return on investment is one of the reasons why businesses don't really tend to. So to summarize, if, if there's something that a business needs to do, it's of course, put their data to work. So Jenny mentioned it earlier as well. It's just, you know, start small. Um, you need to understand your customers. You don't need to do too, too much. Uh, you know, you just need to take what you can from that data and actually start to do something with it. Um, so that's connecting your data, um, having buy-in from all of your different stakeholders within the business to, to, to have a goal. You know, what's the goal? How are we going to get there? How are we going to do it as a team? Um, and then flexible technology is, of course, really important. You need to be able to shift and change and move with your customers and be able to provide that personalization. Um, and so, yeah, that's going to increase your lifetime value and it's going to allow you to do some of those things that I mentioned earlier, where it's rational and emotional um, loyalty. So, yeah, I'd say that's what I, I think a retailer can do uh, as first steps is, you know, which is, which is fantastic. There are so many points of thought there to go away and kind of digest, but also really good takeaways. Practical, actually, step by step today really feels like the way forward. And again, comes back to knowing your customer. So I think loyalty has to start there, you know, whether it's what Jenny said about really going back to basics, understanding your proposition, or even as Paul's alluded to, is just using that data, listening to your customer and, and moving forward as, as the brands have there. I also want to point out, seeing as it's nearly, you know, Christmas, that if anyone is looking for any gifts that, you know, pop along to your local lifestyle sports, or certainly Jenny will be quite happy if you pop online. And the same there with Paul, you know, not only skin ingredients found all over the country, um, those beautiful, colourful bottles, but I'm sure that come January, when we've all eaten a bit too much and we're all feeling a bit groggy, um, that the ladies there, the consultants at uh, the Skin Nerds, Ladies and gentlemen, apologies, Paul, will be more than happy to help you. So definitely check out the two brands. All that's left for me to do today is to thank my three guests. I'm so grateful both for this episode 
and episode three that went out earlier in this season. Um, to Jenny McGinn, the head of e-commerce from Lifestyle Sports, Paul Gillett, chief operating officer at The Skin Nerd, and to Gabri Kaur, director of retail solutions and strategy at Salesforce. Thank you all so much for your time. And as always, if you've enjoyed today's episodes, please, please, please like and share it and leave us your comments and let us know what you think. So till next time, thanks guys for joining me.